you guys want to open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 3, that's the first passage we're going to read this morning. So I'm curious um, if you paid attention to the words that you sang just a few minutes ago in number 230. This world is not my home. I mean, that's true of all of us, whether or not we're going to heaven or not. Um, This world is not anyone's home. We are all passing through this world. Um, Now, this song is sung from the perspective of a Christian, right? Um, My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Did you sing that because it was a nice thought, or do you believe that? Do you really think about the fact that there are treasures laid up in heaven for you personally? Not just, oh yeah, there's treasures for Christians. But do you think about treasure that's being laid up by you, for you, that's being kept by God, reserved for you? Do you think about that? Um, My Savior pardoned me, and now I onward go. Do you... Do you think about what he's pardoned sometimes? Not that he overlooked it, right? He didn't overlook it because he, he sacrificed his son for what he did. But do you appreciate the pardon that you have and what you've been forgiven and what's in the past? Um, there are a lot of thoughts in, in this song and several of the others. I won't go through all the songs that we just sang, but um, there are songs that I think are pertinent to what we're going to be studying this morning. What we're going to be looking at um, pretty briefly is eternity. Um, Because you can't cover eternity in one lesson. There's just too much to talk about. But I mentioned in class last week something that Harold Comer said in a gospel meeting um, in the late 90s. So he said, think about, spend 10 minutes every day thinking about eternity and it will change you for the better Um, so we're going to spend 20 or 30 minutes thinking about eternity this morning and that's not so you don't have to think about it tomorrow that's to cover yesterday and the day before Uh, because I don't do this every day Uh, but when I do this regularly it helps me um you know, the idea behind it is so that you'll keep this life while you're trapped in time in perspective. Because here we're not, we're not inhabiting eternity, right? And we understand that. And so what happens is because we're in time, right? What's past is past and what's future I can't do anything about. We tend to think about these things, right? And get distracted by these things. And we don't spend time thinking about eternity. And it messes up our perspective. We start to think this is more important than eternity. Even if we don't think that in our mind, we treat it that way, right? By the way we live. I live as though this is more important than eternity. And I think this helps us, um, you know, fix that. I'm not going to talk about eternity and time from a philosophical point of view. Um, We're not going there. There's no need to go there. Um... And the evidence for that, I think, is in Ecclesiastes 3. Um, 
You know, the first several verses of Ecclesiastes 3 is kind of famous because of the song that came out. Although, I don't know, I think too many people here are too young to know that song, maybe, uh, by the birds. Um, but there's a time for everything, right? There, even if you haven't heard the song, you've heard the phrases, there's a time to give birth, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot what's planted, and so on and so forth. But the very first verse is, there's an appointed time for everything. And there is a time for every event under heaven. And I think he's talking about, like, you know, here there's appropriateness. There, right now might not be the appropriate time for me to shout and holler and scream. Right? We're having a, a worship service here. But there might be other times later or in the past where that was appropriate. Right? There's a time for every event. But as you go down that list, you get to the, the end of it, and there's this common thought you know, from the preacher, uh, who I believe is Solomon, where he says, What profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? I've seen the task which God has given the sons of men to occupy, with which to occupy themselves. And then he makes this statement again. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning to the end. It's interesting here, the preacher is talking about time and eternity in the exact same passage. He says there's a time for every event under heaven, but on top of that, God has set eternity in their heart. And in this context, I think he's talking about a yearning, right, a longing to understand God and to seek God in his works, right? Because he says, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from beginning to end. We're not necessarily going to know everything God has done from beginning to end, but we want to know. And we understand that he's working in eternity, outside of time. Right? God doesn't, he's not bound by our time. Just because a minute ticked by for us doesn't mean a minute ticked by for God. He can see Adam and Eve in the garden right now. He's not in time. He's in eternity. And what we need to understand, and I think what this passage is telling us, is that concept is part of being a human. We don't need to understand the physics of time. We don't need to understand eternity, all the aspects of it. Because you're a human being, you understand what you need to know, what God wants you to know about eternity. And that is that you're going to move from this time into eternity. That's what he wants you to know. You were created in his image, And that spirit that's within you is going to leave this time-based period. And you're going to transition into eternity. And even if you don't understand all of that, what that means and what that's going to be like, I certainly don't. You understand enough to know because you're created in his image. I don't even have to tell you that. I just have to say the concept and you know something about that. So my point is that I'm not going to try to explain time and eternity so that you understand the difference between the two. My point is you already know the difference between the two. You know enough about the difference right, to understand what God expects from you. So what are, what are you going to dwell on when we think about eternity? Not, again, I'm not going to cover every single aspect, um, but the first thing that I, I, I want to present is the dual nature of eternity. 
And we see that in what James read in Matthew 25. If you want to turn back over there, we're not going to read that that entire passage again, but I wanted James to read the whole passage to understand that at that point that's presented, that judgment scene that's presented is the point at which people are moving from time into eternity. There's no more time to change. There's no more time to make a different decision. Everything that has done from that point at judgment that you see in Matthew 25, everything is in the past. There's no such thing as future. This time doesn't exist anymore. There's just eternity. And Jesus makes the point to both the righteous and the unrighteous that their past matters. past has a bearing on eternity and there's not a whole gradient the best get the best of the best and the worst get the worst of the worst and the majority of the people fall somewhere in the middle that's not eternity eternity has two natures the good and the bad that's it um you know, in, in this passage, Matthew 25, it says Jesus separates them on the right and the left, right? His right and his left. Into only two groups, because there's only two natures in eternity. He doesn't separate them into three groups, or five. There's two groups. Right? And just boiling it down, verse 46, these will go away into eternal punishment, right? The one on his left eternal punishment not these will be punished so that they can learn their lesson and change it doesn't say that because the time for change is gone but the righteous into eternal life and that's even more so on the encouraging side right you think about all those passages where Paul talks about hope and yearning and striving, it's all consummated at that point. It's done. There's nothing more to hope for. You've received the full measure, right? In eternity. So, when you have time, now let me rephrase that. When you make time to think about eternity, because you have the same amount of time I have, so, I got to make time, you got to make time. So, when you make time to think about eternity, spend some time thinking about the dual nature of it. How confident are you when Jesus separates the sheep and the goats that you are going to be a sheep? Is it something you just you feel like you're sort of rolling the dice? And maybe it happens and maybe it doesn't. I sure hope it does. Kind of like playing the lottery, right? I bought my Christian ticket, so I hope it comes through in the day of judgment. Is that, is that how you think about eternity? To me, that would be terrifying. The Bible doesn't teach that it's by chance that we're saved. So think about the dual nature. 
How afraid are you of the eternal punishment? How many passages have you read where Jesus describes what the eternal punishment is like? Do you think it'd just be sort of uncomfortable? Well, it's not everything I want, but I'll, I'll deal with it. If that's what you think about eternal punishment, you don't understand eternal punishment. I, I don't know how many people have said it, and I don't even know where it originated, but I've heard people say, you know, because they want to be smart Alex, um, you know, I'd rather rule in hell than serve in heaven. That's a statement of someone who doesn't understand hell. Um, that's the statement of someone who's ignoring the truth about the dual nature of eternity and what eternity is. <clears throat> you know, did you notice um, there in, in verse 41, those on his left, you know, sometimes we think, or at least I, I won't say you, sometimes I think, like, okay, heaven was made for the good people and hell was made for the bad people. You know, God did that, you know, knowing that there's going to be people who obey and people who don't. But that's not what verse 41 says in Matthew 25. Reading verse 41 says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. When God designed hell, he didn't design it for people. That's scary, too. He designed it for the devil. But Jesus clearly says that there will be people who go into that hell, into that eternal fire. So if you think about how much God would want to punish Satan, right? like finally put an end to all his meddling and all his temptation and all his prowling about trying to seek people. Think about how God would want to punish Satan. And that God, who can do whatever he wants to do, has designed a place specifically for him. Then you start to understand a little bit about what hell is. There's no ruling in hell. It's eternal fire and punishment designed for Satan and his angels. And Jesus is saying there will be people who partake of that eternal punishment. So I think when we spend our ten minutes, we need to think about the good and we need to think about the bad. You've probably heard it said, and I've, I've seen it myself. Jesus talked more about hell and, and punishment than any, anyone else in the scriptures did. Jesus had more to say than anybody else. He doesn't want us there. But he says right here, there will be those who go. So here's some questions to think about while you're dwelling upon eternity. Is it important to you how you inhabit eternity? 
I mean, you, only you can answer that question. Nobody can can answer it for you. Well, obviously, it's not important to you. I mean, somebody might say that right off the cuff, but you know the truth. <clears throat> Is it important to you how you inhabit eternity? And here's another question I think we, we sort of graduate to, and I'm not sure I'm there yet, but... Is it important to you how others inhabit eternity? I mean, when you start to grasp that hell was created for Satan, you don't want other people going there either. So the third question that I think applies to both of those is, how important is that to you? Is it important enough for you to actually change how you live your life? <clears throat> is it important enough um, for you to risk relationships with people to try to save them from hell? Is it important enough for you to risk job or even change your job because it's putting you in a position that you might trip or stumble and you see it ahead of time. You know that that temptation is potentially there and you think, well, it's not a big deal. Anytime we look at temptation and we say it's not a big deal, we're not spending time thinking about eternity. So there's also something Paul spends, I think, quite a bit of time on. Um, There's not just the duality or this two-nature side of eternity, but there's another contrast, which is maybe a little more easy to spend time thinking about. There's a contrast between now and where we live now in eternity. Um, if you want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'll read several verses beginning in verse 16. 2 Corinthians 4 beginning in verse 16. Paul says, Therefore we do not lose heart. He's, he's been talking about these trials and, and persecutions and things that they face. He says, Therefore we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. 
there's not just the contrast of the two natures of eternity. There's a contrast between just eternity and now and how different things are. Um, now, Paul here is writing about the positive side of eternity. And so that's what I'm going to address. We don't groan for the negative side. Right? We don't groan to be in destruction. Right? But Paul's saying we groan in this body now. Right? Um, and look at how he describes his life. Back uh, around verse 16, 17. Momentary <clears throat> light affliction. I have a hard time thinking of my problems in this way. My problems are the biggest problems on earth. And they're certainly bigger than your problems because they're my problems. Um, And when I can't see a way out of it, well, then the world is just coming to an end. May as well just write it off. It's all over. Nothing can be done. And nothing will ever be done because I can't see the solution to my humongous, ginormous problems. I've never had any problems like Paul had. And I don't think I ever will, if I'm just honest. I hope I don't, but I also just don't think I ever will go through what Paul went through. I mean, it's one thing to be beaten and flogged because you're a criminal and you deserve it. But it's another thing to go through it because you say, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. And I'm serving him. I don't think I'm going to face that. Now, I might, but to this date, I've never faced anything like that. And he called it momentary light affliction. Our lives are momentary, people. In relation to eternity, your life is momentary. I mean, ask James how how long it took him to get to 30 years old, right? He's like, it was a blink. Right? But sometimes we don't have the right perspective. If we could look at our past life and say, well, yeah, I remember my first 10 years, my first 15, my first 20, my first 30. I remember them just, they just passed in an instant. If we could think about the rest of our life like that, I think we would have a better grasp on eternity. And we would have a better perspective on this life. Because assuming that we can see our own end coming and we have time to reflect, you're going to be thinking the same thing. Whether it's 40 or 60 or 80 or 105 years, you're going to be thinking, wow, what did I do with all that time? And that time was really short. So in your 10 minutes, when you're thinking about eternity, contrast it with this life and realize that while this life has a beginning and an end, 
And even events, right? That's what the preacher said. Every event under heaven has an appropriate time, right? Our lives are events. Eternity is not an event. It's a state of existing that doesn't change. What is it in this life that's got you so distracted? That's a question I'm, I'm, I'm posing to you for you to think about. What is it in your life that's getting you distracted from understanding what eternity really is? Get that distraction out of your life. Just get rid of it. It's not worth it. So, so here are some questions when you're spending your 10 minutes thinking about eternity. I put this question down, but I, I think it's already answered. Are you groaning in this life? I'll answer it for you. You are. And it's not because I know you are. Because God says you are. All of the creation groans. The problem is we don't know what we're groaning for. Now as Christians we should by now know what we're groaning for. Paul's revealed that to us. We're groaning to have that home, that house that God has made. To have that house that God's prepared for us clothed this body, so we don't feel this body, we don't have these temptations anymore, and we don't feel the pain, right? That we are with Him, right? In a body that can stand to be with Him. This body can't stand to be with Him. I mean, we would vaporize or whatever. Right? It's just too much. But He's got something prepared for us that, that can be with Him. So think about the groaning that you feel. Right? And whatever it is that you're trying to put in that hole, or whatever it is you're trying to cover yourself over that's not Him, and put that thing in perspective. There is nothing that you can lay your eyes on that will take away that groaning. There's nothing you can hear <clears throat> Right, where as long as you hear that sound, that groaning's going to go away. There are things you can do to distract yourself, but there's nothing you can experience on this earth and in this existence of time, from your birth until your death, that will take that groaning away. So when you're thinking about eternity, and you think about the, the difference between eternity and now. Think about the things you're trying to replace eternity with. That you're trying to distract yourself. So you don't have to think about the groaning. Paul brings it up. He's not only aware of it, he's trying to get these Christians in Corinth to think about it. You're groaning. Know what you're groaning for. You're groaning to be clothed with what God designed you to be. That's what you're groaning for, even if you don't know it. So be honest with yourself. Right? I mean, this isn't, I'm not sitting here trying to judge you. you. You and God are the only people who know what you're trying to put in His place. And He already knows. You know, you're not really hiding anything from Him. Just 
just be honest with yourself. And those things that you're trying to replace eternity with, put them in their correct place. It could be entertainment. It could be relationships with people. It could be friendships. It could, I mean, it could be a whole host of things that in and of themselves there's nothing wrong with. But when you take it and you say, this is what's going to distract me from my groaning, there is something wrong with it. For you. For you. And you need to put that thing in its place. So don't ask yourself, are you groaning? I put that question there, but you are groaning. Accept it. Right? And then ask yourself from time to time, do I really know what I'm groaning for? And make sure you understand the answer is you're, you're groaning for what God has designed you to be. Right? And then the third question is, is kind of similar to the first set of questions. How confident are you that you have a house from God waiting for you? Did you see how Paul wrote that? Beginning of chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, he said, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Paul knew this isn't a roll of the dice kind of thing. Well, I sure hope that if this body's torn down, God's going to clothe me in heaven. Because he can. I hope he does. If you have any doubt, there's nothing wrong with doubt, okay? In the sense that it's something to hide. I'm not saying doubt is sin. What I'm saying is if you have doubt, you need to get that out in the open. And be honest with yourself and say, I doubt that God has a house for me. Or, I'm not so sure God has a house for me. Or, how can I know God has a house? These kinds of things, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with getting that out. But there is something wrong with tucking that away and saying, well, I'm just going to live with doubt. That doubt will destroy you. You don't think it will. But it will. Paul knew there was a house for him. And he was looking forward to it and he was ready for it. But it wasn't just some self-delusion that he made up in his head. God had said, this is how you received my house. And Paul had obeyed. So think about your own confidence in that house. And if you're not confident... Talk to somebody. Number one, pray. Number two, read the scripture. Now I'm going to say 1A and 1B. There is no number two in those two. Pray and read. Pray and read. And number, a distant second, right, in importance, is talk to somebody. Just express your concerns. Hey, you know, I, I feel like it's kind of a roll of the dice. Well, let's sit down and read. Why did Paul have confidence? Why did Peter have confidence? I mean, this is something you, we grow into. It's not something that's magic. Right? It takes effort. 
So the last passage I want to read is in 2 Peter. And it's sort of about eternity, but it's more similar to that, that judgment that is in Matthew 25. It's that transition where we move from time into eternity. 2 Peter chapter 3. Um, I'm just going to read three verses, and again, I know I'm taking them sort of out of context, but the truth of them remain. 2 Peter 3, beginning in verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? I think this feeds into that idea of contrasting eternity with here. Everything around us will be burned up. Everything will be gone. And so I'll just ask the same question Peter asked. Since all these things are to be destroyed like this, the chair you're sitting on, the floor you're resting on, the walls you're looking at, your home, everything you own, your body, everything you've worked for, all your accomplishments... Since all these things are being destroyed this way, what sort of people ought you to be? Are you supposed to be people who are distracted by things that happen in this life and in in time? Well, I've got this really important thing coming up, and that means church and service and reading my Bible and prayer is all going to have to wait. Those are messed up priorities. And I'm not going to apologize for that. I'm just going to tell you, those are messed up priorities. What sort of people ought we to be knowing that our neighbors are going to walk into this same thing that we're going to walk into? Do we care about them? So as we're sitting down each day for 10 minutes thinking about eternity, look at the things around you and and, and remind yourself all of this is going to be burned up. So what am I really doing with my life? What am I really pursuing? Am I pursuing what I've, what I've got around me? Am I pursuing something someone else has around them? Right? Think about that in that 10 minutes. And if you do this kind of thinking every day, God has designed you in such a way that you will change. This isn't some self-help book where I'm giving you some tool that you've got to abide by and it's going to make you a better person. This is going to make you what you're supposed to be, designed by God, because you're following His instructions. 
This isn't some trick. This is going to help us think the way we're supposed to think. So we spent our probably 30 minutes or more thinking about eternity. I hope it has helped you um, this morning in this short time, but I hope more that it helps you as you go on. Because I can tell you from personal experience, it helped me <clears throat> through a lot of things. Um, and some of you may, maybe have heard me said this, when I'm, when I'm facing a trial, I say, well, I'm going to heaven anyway. Whatever, I lose my leg or I lose my arm. I lose, I've lost my hearing right, in, in my left ear. That was an intensely emotional thing for me because I love symphonies. But I'm going to heaven anyway. That's going to be fixed. That new body is not going to have that kind of damage. This will help you get through those things too. It will help you see people differently the way God sees them. It will help you see yourself differently the way God sees you too. But you don't have to wait if you already know that you have doubts. If you already know that you're scared of walking into eternity. If you think Jesus might put you in the goats or might put you in the sheep and, and you want to be sure, now is the only time that you have. I mean, now really is the only time that you have. You don't have the next five minutes because he's going to come like a thief. We don't know. Talk to someone here. Talk to me. Talk to the person next to you. Talk to somebody you know, you're comfortable with, and say, I want to study about confidence in being saved. Because it will help you. You can, we're going to sing a song to encourage you to do that. Um, you can let someone know during the song. You can let someone know after the song. Um, but please do that if, if you need to.